Today we have a very special episode of the IT Pro TV podcast coming to you from Orlando, Florida. We're at Walt Disney World for the InfoSec World 2018 conference. And we're going to bring you all of our favorite interviews and insights with Don and myself and Daniel Lowry. That's all coming up on the IT Pro TV podcast starting right now. All right, hello and welcome to the IT Pro TV podcast. As I said in the open, we are not in the studio, as you can see. We are down here in sunny, well, tornado-y Orlando, <laughs> Florida, at the Walt Disney World Contemporary Resort, which is also really not that contemporary anymore. But uh, Don, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I am doing swell, and you know, we just have so much, so much footage and so many things to talk about that we've experienced here at the conference because we're kind of filming this towards the end. Uh, but we're going to spend some time right here in this episode and get a chance to highlight some of that. Well, first of all, before we get into the interviews, what was your impression of the show uh, kind of in general? I know we didn't do a lot of the sessions, but we had a chance to really walk around and see a lot of the different vendors and, and meet a lot of the attendees. You know, InfoSec World is one of my favorite security conferences, and, and we've, we've been to most of them. We've been to RSA, Black Hat, DEF CON. Uh, some of them have gotten to become so massive that they're no longer really approachable. Others are so small that you're not really able to, to get exposed to much. InfoSec World, I think, is like just the right size. and. Maybe I'm putting a curse on them, right? And they'll grow too much and then they'll be ruined. But uh, everybody's real accessible. You can walk up and talk to people. When there's a keynote speaker, you normally see them walking around in the expo hall floor later, just, just walking around. You go up and talk to them. Uh, so it, it's that kind of conference. And it's all put on by Misty, which as an organization, they are just super nice people, easy to talk to, and, and you know, they're they're promoting IT security learning and awareness, and so they're doing just great things in the industry. Uh, it it does make this one of my favorite conferences. Yeah, and, and it is getting a little bit bigger next year. I saw the floor plan already. They're just adding a couple of aisles, so it's not uh, growing out of proportion where it's going to be at a, at a huge convention center or anything like that. But you did mention uh, seeing the, the different keynote speakers walking around. Mm -hmm. That's actually uh, how we got our first uh, interview that I want to share. We uh, I saw down the hallway they had a, a service dog. And normally when you see a service dog, uh, everyone kind of stands back, but everyone was petting the dog. So I said, something's got to be going on. you're not supposed to pet here. a service dog. It's, it's says it right on the dog, typically. So I uh, went ahead and, and, and walked down there and took a look, and it actually said on the side, uh, electronic detection dog, which I'd never heard of before, so started asking some questions. And they'd actually just gotten off the stage from doing a keynote, and uh, it, we were talking about what these dogs do and, and how that training process works, and I said, we got to get you guys over here. And unfortunately, the dog uh, was very tired after doing that. They had actually flown down from Indiana and the dog needed to spend some time, uh, some quality time outside in the grass, I believe. <laughs> so uh, we, we brought the trainers over uh, from a company called uh, Jordan Detection. And uh, let's go ahead and take a look at that interview now and, uh, and see a really cool, um, I don't know, I don't want to say product, but a really cool uh, service that they, that they can offer. Phenomenal idea. Yeah. I, I think, I'm, I'm going to set us up for a high bar to reach here. I think this is going to be the best interview that we do at InfoSec World because this one ties into a story that I read about a couple of years ago and I'm, I'm just dying to get more information. Uh, you know, there's so many companies here that are presenting security products and software and hardware, uh, but in the, in the keynotes and the various presentations, we're learning about all sorts of different aspects of security and one just really different area that we've got here is a company called Jordan Detection that trains dogs to be able to, to sniff out and detect 
electronic devices or the, the evidence of the presence of electronic devices, which is something amazing that, that really, I, I first learned about just a couple of years ago, and they were speaking here at the conference, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to, to grab a couple of them to talk to us about the company and what they do, and before I, before I rattle on too much about this, why don't I give you guys a chance to maybe introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about Jordan Detection. I'm Todd Jordan. I'm Aaron Jordan. Um, we are the um, owners and operators of Jordan Detection Canine. Um, Todd is the master trainer and the brains behind the beginnings of this program, and I'll let him talk a little bit about what he does. So we train the dogs to indicate on a chemical that compound that's in the making of electronic storage devices, um, and such things of like SD cards, thumb drives, micro SDs, cell phones, and anything that holds electronic storage media. All right, so um, let's, we'll roll back the clock two years, and I'm reading this article, and it was about the the, the Jordan spokesman, uh, the weight loss spokesman for Subway, where uh, uh, he was arrested on charges of having child pornography. And in this article, it was describing how the the police leveraged a, a dog that could come in and sniff through the, the house or apartment and find USB keys or, or even like cell phone SIM cards based mm -hmm. on on a chemical like you just mentioned. And it blew my mind. I thought, what a, I mean, what a great idea. And n nobody had thought of it, or maybe they had it. It was the first I had heard of that. Um, you, you're the people who did that. I, when I first met you, I, I recounted that story and you said that that's our dog, right? So can you, can you give me a little history on that? Like how, how did you come up with the idea to even do this? So the chemical was actually discovered by a chemist from Connecticut State Police. And so they're the ones that started the pioneer of the program. And then from us, we just we were contacted and we were discussing things with some internet crimes um, officers, and we came up with they asked us if we could do something like that, and we we did, and they started using the dogs on search warrants um, all over the state of Indiana, and that's when Subway Jared, when that case came in place. And you know we, we keep talking about storage devices. Is, the, is the, the chemical limited to like flash storage like that, or or is it found in other types of devices? It's any type of electronic storage media. It's in. And so, if that's hidden away, like this is a, a smell. I'm thinking, I'm thinking like uh, bomb sniffing dogs, drug dogs. They have a, a scent that they pick up on. They can just walk right by luggage, and they can pick that up because I, to me, I might not smell it, but to them, it's a very strong smell. Are the the electronic devices the same way? Is that's a strong smell the dogs are able to pick up on? It's it's not a strong smell. Um, as we were kind of talking about before, you know, you and I could smell gasoline if we came in here into this room, but the, there's no smell really to a human that's going to be emitted from those devices. Um, the way we train our dogs, though, they are able to detect those. Um, we've had several. We've got 17 dogs out now, um, out into the across the United States that are working, and we daily will get calls from handlers telling us they've been on a warrant and. A lot of the times they get super excited because a dog has found a device in a safe that's locked or, uh, you know, in a bunch of debris. Often the, the search warrants will be in houses that are hoarder type houses. So the dogs are super useful in finding hidden devices in those situations where it would take investigators days to find those. And, and that is, that, that's really what amazes me the most about this story is, is that, uh, you know, Cybercrime obviously has been getting more and more complex with each year. A lot of, of criminals are learning that, hey, if I have illegal or illicit material, that if I store it on my computer, it could right. be detected. If I have it in a, a USB key, a removable hard drive, something like that, uh, even a, uh, a burner cell phone mm -hmm. that is stashed or hidden away, 
then I know nobody's going to be able to find that and get at it. Or, or they might they might apply encryption to it, so you can't get at the data. But just finding the device is the first obstacle. And were were you some of the were you the first people to have a dog trained to do this, or, or had other people tried and and you just ended up being the ones to popularize it? Well, the Connecticut State Police had actually trained one before. Um, obviously, we. Um, we'd heard about that and he had been a dog trainer of um, accelerate detection canines for quite a few years so it took about a year to develop our program after hearing of theirs um, I think they have eight dogs currently out working now um, so we had developed that program following following their lead so to speak and um, we got lucky with the Jared case and then we went on to have Marvin Sharp who was a US gymnastics coach um, our dogs were involved in that, but that's been one of the best things for us is being able to work with the local task force. Um, they call us a lot to to use our dogs on search warrants, to use them for probation checks and things like that. So our dogs get the real world experience. And then we also have the benefit of the investigators calling us to say, we've started seeing there are new devices that are being used by these these criminals. So we have the ability then to start, you know, Introducing those things to our dogs and showing them that, you know, getting them used to it. A toy might actually be a USB. And so, I mean, this is a, it's a truly unique thing. Mm -hmm. um, my whole life, I've heard of, of bomb sniffing dogs, drug sniffing dogs. That that's something that's been around. But for you guys, this was something new. They they uh, they discovered the chemical. They found out that you could train a dog to do it. So. You all, as, as experienced dog trainers, decided, hey, we're, we're going to get in and start teaching dogs. But this is something that is groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. So how did, you, how did you go about creating a training regimen for that? How did you find out what worked, what didn't work? And, and how long did that process take just to get to where you felt that you had a dog that could effectively find these devices? So we started in August of 2014 with our first dog, Bear. Um, it took it took several months to get used to. I mean, from what I do in accelerant work and other type of detection work, um, it was a little bit different. It was a little bit more of minute odor that you had to really get the dogs in closer to, for them to indicate on. Um, so it was just it was a whole mess of a, a project. Learning process. Yeah, it was a learning process for us as well as the dog. And but it, it took us about a year. But but the dog actually went out on his first search warrant two months after I got the dog and started working with it and found devices that were missed by officers. So even at a, a infancy stage, we knew we were on the right track. And then we seeked help from a lot of the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Forces here in Indiana, or there in Indiana. Um, so we got a lot of help and a lot of interest from them. And then they started utilizing us on their own search warrants. And you know we developed that trust there. And we really have a pretty good partnership with, with the Indiana ICAC as well. So now, at this point, it's been a couple of years. Uh, this is now a, a technology that a, everybody knows about and, and many departments across the country could obviously use the services like this. So when you train a, a new dog, uh, you, do you get them as a, as a puppy or are they already adults? And then once you have them, how long does it take you to train a dog to be able to do this? I can answer that. So okay. um, we started off using rescue dogs. Um, we have some relationships with some of the rescues in our area. Um, we've kind of expanded from that. We've, we are also using career change dogs now. Um, oftentimes, the most trainable dog are the mo for us are the most untrainable dogs to the rescues. Um, the high energy that will actually get in these areas and go search. Um, you don't want that in your house, but it's perfect for a working dog. So um, it's kind of a mix of career change dogs and rescue dogs. and um, so we utilize them. We have kind of some criteria that we look for if the dog's going to work or not. So we, once we've decided that it will, 
um, we take those dogs and start working with them and we've been pretty successful I think we we haven't had any that have stopped working and we we haven't really had to wash you know too many out that don't work so so is there a is there a particular breed that's better at this or is it just more of a behavior that you're looking for? We look for behavior but we only train Labradors and the reason why we use labs is because um, the dogs are used for for obviously sniffing out for the the electronic storage media but they're also now being used for when children are being interviewed um, they use them as a kind of a comfort thing um, they're using them in the law enforcement offices now because they're spending their day looking at images that nobody would want to have to see so it's kind of good to take a break and hang out with the dog and play um, and to have that de-escalation of what they're doing. And also at a warrant, um, at, at Jared Subway was a good example. The kids were being taken out, the wife is coming out and you see a friendly dog there. Um, nothing against other breeds of dogs, but some labs just are friendly. You know, they're kind of dopey and friendly, so we choose so labs. In, in theory though, could you could you use any breed or, or I mean, obviously there's benefits to a lab, sure. but could, could any breed be trained to do this? Probably, yes. Yeah. And so for a, for a lab, you, you do a rescue, so it's mm -hmm. a dog that you, not a puppy, maybe an adult, maybe one that's done other things. About a year and um, a half of age and, is the best. Okay. And then as far as the training, you mentioned like your first dog, two months in, they were already doing warrants. So like theoretically, what's the, the shortest amount of time before an, an animal like that could be affected? I usually keep them for about five months at least. Uh, so I just want them to be 110%. I don't want them to just be halfway trained. I want them completely trained because that way the handler doesn't have to stay with us is a very long time and with budgetary constraints and minimum staffing. Um, I know departments are always looking for a way to not let their investigators leave for eight to 10 weeks at a time. So we try to get everything done that we can do with the dog, even to the point where they're working search warrants to where all the handler has to do is come in and learn how to work with the dog. And, and that usually takes about two weeks of that time as well. You know, let's talk a, a little bit about budgetary that I know if, if you're gonna train a bomb sniffing dog, you've got to have some explosive materials for them to detect mm -hmm. that smell. If you're doing a drug sniffing dog, you're going to have to have some drugs. For an electronic sniffing dog, it's a little bit easier, a little more accessible material. Uh, is the cost for training about the same? I know uh, some of the, like a bomb sniffing dog is a very expensive undertaking to train an animal like that. Well, what we try to do, we try to keep it within the limits of what police departments can afford. I mean, it's kind of a mission for us. I mean, we're not making a ton of money off of, of selling the dogs. It's more so to get the dogs out there. There are 61 task forces around the nation, and we want a dog in every one of those task forces, and whatever we can do to help with that. Um, again, we're not into it to make a ton of money. We just want to make a, make a living at it, I guess. And are, are the departments that are kind of left to their own if they want to go and get one of these, or are there agencies that are helping them to, to receive the, the animals? Yeah, we've had a few departments that have managed to get it in their budgets, um, and especially right off the bat. But since they're out working now, we have had several not-for-profits come and, and offer to help fund those dogs. So um, what we've typically been doing is, you know, we, we're noticing there's donors from all over the place. And so um, we have an application process now that we have on our, on our webpage that if a department's interested in a dog, you can file an application. And then um, I don't think we've had to turn anybody away for a grant yet. We've, we've got a lot of generous donors that are willing willing to um, make sure these dogs get out into the departments and we're working with them to make sure they're accessible to everybody that wants one. Now for a, a sheriff's department or a, a police precinct in a, in a large area in New York, then it, it might make sense for them to have a, a dog like this available all the time. But right. if, if somebody's working for a small, uh, you know, it's a small police department, small town, they don't necessarily have a need for that. Is there a way, are, are they able to reach out and say, hey, can, can we borrow a dog for a week or, or would they, 
I mean, you really have to to have the trainer along with yep. the dog, yeah. right? Yeah, you, you need to have the handler with them. But I mean, if, if they're a small department, there are there is a local task force in every state that they can belong to. And if they have a dog available to them, that then they can utilize that. Or if they want to get a dog and then be part of the ICAC task force, they can do that as well once they get a dog. Yeah, we do have several dogs that are on really small departments. But um, the, the way the ICAC task force works is that they're made up of individuals from everywhere from the FBI to a small department um, they kind of feed into the actual create the actual task force so those dogs are traveling sometimes all over the entire state to be utilized by other people that's amazing and I know we talked about um, uh, child exploitation because that that's been big it's been in the news but what are some of the other types of crimes that you're seeing uh, where this applies and is able to help so everybody uses store stuff on their phones and on all their electronic storage devices. I mean, everybody uses it. Um, I've done a counterterrorism case. I've done a white collar crime. I've done an insider threat crime, um, a murder investigation, um, even to the point of just uh, a person was killed in a car wreck and the person was ejected and their phone wasn't on the on the body. So they they brought one of the dogs in to actually search for the cell phone just to help out where the family could have some closure as well. So the dogs can be utilized. I mean, it's just it keeps adding. I mean. Every day we're getting a call from somewhere wanting because there are people are, the investigators are getting more creative and, and seeing the use of these dogs that it's not, just not limited to child exploitation that they can be utilized in any crime. Well, I, I know I'm amazed by this. As, as somebody in the IT field, I'm, I'm used to technology changing very, very fast and new things coming out, but my mind was blown. When I was reading that article, I was like, whoever thought about training a dog to be able to detect electronic devices, that is just a phenomenal idea. Uh, and I. I had no idea when I first met you two that you were responsible in training the dog that was used in the in the subway case, uh, which is probably one of the most visible instances of, of that. So uh, I really appreciate you spending time to talk with us. Before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to share with our viewers, or if they want to learn more, can you can I tell them where they can go? Sure, you can go to our webpage. It's um, www.electronicdetectionk9.com and there's more information there about the not-for-profits as well if anybody is interested in donating or if they're interested in getting a canine of their own. Awesome. And, you know, let me just I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent here. What if somebody is interested in learning how to train animals like you do? Is there a, uh, a way that they could come in and learn that skill, or is that kind of controlled by just a few people? Right now it's just controlled by myself and my wife. <laughs> at this, it's just pretty much proprietary at this point. Um, I guess if we ever get huge enough to, that we need more handlers or more trainers out there, then yeah, we might be interested in doing something like that. Well, it's, it's a great technology and it's kind of a double-edged sword here. On one hand, I hope you have great success and you find that you're training so many animals that you, you need a ton of, of help. On the other hand, that means there's a lot of crime, and so I hope that we don't need that many, but, uh, but I definitely thank you guys for the work that you've done. It is amazing work, and I'm, I'm just incredibly impressed by it. Thank you. Thank much. you. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, thank you, and thank you, everybody out there in TV land for watching. Uh, you know, we always appreciate you viewing, and hopefully you found this as interesting as, as I did. I, I really do. I think this is probably one of the coolest things that I've seen here at this conference, and uh, really tied into some stuff that, that I've read about in the past and it's just really exciting to hear. I, I love new things like this. So thank you all for watching. Stay tuned though because we do have more coverage coming at you from InfoSec World 2018. But for right now signing off for IT Pro TV, I'm Don Pizzette and I'll see you next time. All right, that was a that was a really cool one, and, and I, I learned a lot in that. I didn't I didn't have any idea that there were specific smells and things <laughs> in the chips. I didn't I didn't know you could do that. So so now you got to reevaluate how you're hiding I all do, your storage yeah. media. So um, in that interview, I, I don't know if you guys are able to pick up on it, but I was a little 
uh, almost starstruck because it, when they came by the booth, uh, Peter had lined up the interview, so I only got to meet with them just a couple of minutes before the interview started. And I, uh, unlike you, Peter, I, I had heard of the electronic mm -hmm. uh, detection animals. and uh, Rub so, it in. Yeah. So I know, I, I'm well read. So, um, so I started talking to them, and, and when they told me that's what they did, I said, oh, you know, I, I read this amazing article a couple of years ago about you know, Jordan from Subway and, and how they, uh, they used a, an electronic detection uh, dog to go in and find the media he hit. And I'm telling them the story, and they say to me, yeah, yeah, that was our dog. Yeah. What? <laughs> and that was the first dog they had trained. And so that was the conversation I had in the 30 seconds right before that interview. And so as I'm talking to them, I'm like, these are, these are the people that have really, they didn't invent the technology, sure. right? And they mentioned that in the interview. It was an a, a organization up in Connecticut. Yeah. But they're the ones who have really perfected training these service dogs to be able to go and detect the devices. So uh, th those two people are they're instrumental in that technology. It's an amazing service they provide. Yeah, when you have a such a you know horrific situation like that one uh, was, it it's nice that there's a silver lining that comes out of it that mm -hmm. people are now maybe aware that this kind of technology exists for other police departments, um, military even to to go ahead and, and find ways to take advantage of that. Uh, I, I was thinking about you know uh, the Bin Laden raid and things like that when so much of that was after after the fact now going and collecting all the electronic data having sure. you know an animal like that to be able to to gather intelligence in the field is, is pretty cool and it's good to know that the next time i misplace my cell phone i've got a, an avenue there yeah, i can i have their business card I, yeah we I can, can call them and fly in a service animal. all the time yeah can they do the remote <laughs> i don't know if there's storage in the remote but if they can do that that'd be fantastic tape an sd card to your remote <laughs> now yeah now, now i'm all set all right well the, the next interview we wanted to share with you is from an, another cool company uh called hacker one and and i think uh the, the person we talked to was also a speaker here as well he did a, a talk right before we were able to grab him. And so what do you know about this HackerOne company? It seems like All they right. kind of help connect hackers with businesses. I, I had a misconception as to what HackerOne did leading up to this conference. So I, I learned a lot myself. But uh, if you ever hear somebody say it's hard to get a job in IT security or I have no experience, I can't work in IT security, uh, HackerOne will prove you wrong. Yeah. Like you can go and, and start actually making money by applying hacking skills through their services. And it's a phenomenal platform that helps you not only learn and, and refine your trade, but also make money and ultimately get a job working in that field yeah. uh, by using your skills. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it to the interview where they describe it a lot better than that. But, uh, but if you're interested in getting into the IT security field, uh, HackerOne's a company you want to know about. Yeah, and in this one, uh, Daniel Lowry came down with us and he sat down with JBot. H hackers have such cool names. <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's actually just an abbreviation of, of his name, but JBot was the uh, was the guy that actually spoke on stage here. So let's take a look at that interview with Daniel. All right, greetings everyone and welcome to IT Pro TV. We're here at InfoSec World 2018 in Orlando, Florida. And in today's interview, I am uh, speaking with one John from HackerOne. John, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your absolutely, company? Absolutely, absolutely. So, as he said, I am John from HackerOne. Um, I am a technical program manager for the Bug Bunny platform. That's what HackerOne does. So, we connect researchers from all over the world who are security researchers, and we connect them with companies who want to be hacked. Um, so, what the company gets out of it is they get a good long list of vulnerabilities of where their systems are actually vulnerable in real life. And what the hackers get from it is not only recognition from the companies, but they also, in certain situations, they get a payment for it. Wow. So, that's the, that's the bug bounty in a sense, in a nutshell. Oh, okay, so he, you're mentioning bug bounty. Very yeah. interesting topic. Uh, for those of you who are not in the know, this is basically 
the company's saying, I want you to hack me, mm -hmm. which is, is weird it to is hear weird. out loud, right? It is to weird say out that. loud. <laughs> uh, I want you to try to hack me, and when you find something, we'll give you a reward for that. Mm -hmm. So that we can now close that gap exactly. and, and lower our secure or increase our security footprint. However, it's you weird. Look it. It's weird when you say it out loud, but in reality, it makes a lot of sense because yeah. if you have all of these defenses and you have like your defense in depth and your web application firewalls and you have everything set up in a way that prevents hackers from getting in, how well do you actually stand up against real hackers that are trying to break into your systems? Yeah. And HackerOne kind of bridges that gap. Whether you actually want to have. Uh, I, I say a live pen test against your, your own assets. And so that's an interesting topic as yeah. well because there is traditional pen testing. Right. Why would someone use something like HackerOne over a traditional type pen test? Great question. So one of the reasons that I bring up, and I like just to preface it with, when, when you're in a pen test environment, you're given a set time as mm. to when they're hacking, so you know when they're attacking you. The second thing is that you have a broad range of skill sets from, from professionals in the field, right? So it's usually a team of like 10 of 20 that are attacking the assets and they do the final report as it comes through. The benefit of bug bounties, in a sense, is that you get the results as they come in only live. So you can see what is being found on your assets in real time. The second thing that I like to tell people, and this kind of blows people's minds, is that when you have the security researchers out there you have so many of them, and they're all over the world. They have so many different different skill sets. But what I like to point out is that certain security researchers out there that only do bug bounties only participate in certain types of programs and certain vulnerability classes. And the reason why this is really important is because if you have a person and their only goal is to find one type of vulnerability, they are so proficient at finding it even if you've been through a hundred pen tests, that the pen testers will never have that deep-seated knowledge that they have. So this gives your company the ability to find the exact talent needed for a specific program or a specific Absolutely. company, correct? And we have over 150,000 accounts that have been registered. So instead of a group of 20 or 30 nutritional pen tests, time-based, you can extend it over an ongoing bug bounty with all 150,000 that are looking at the assets, wow. if you so choose. You can also go the other route where if you're not ready for that, I'm sure there's many companies out there and organizations yeah. that are not ready for something like that. Um, you can go the private route, which is essentially you have the assets that you know and you want to be tested. You go privately into a bug bounty situation and you invite researchers. Um, the algorithm does it for you, obviously, on HackerOne, but you only invite certain researchers and you're not known amongst the broad public that you have a bug bounty program that is running. So. So that's that's a benefit of going private if gotcha, you're not ready for that gotcha. too. So your your hacker one algorithm will help pair you up with the right hackers right. for your application and skill sets. Are you able to say I want to pick this specific hacker Absolutely. that I saw as well yes. and say I want to bring them on? We we have a couple hackers who are prolific, so they're earning more than three hundred thousand dollars a year on the platform alone, and they're very high in demand. So we have organizations that come on the platform and they want those hackers. They want the ones that are the cream of the crop. Yeah. So regardless of what, what your application does or whether you're on mobile or you're on hardware or you're on Internet of Things, regardless of what your attack surface is, we have the people out there that are willing to report vulnerabilities and are willing to secure your systems. And, um, and they're out there waiting, so. Well, and another thing I thought was really cool, and I'll let you explain sure. and expound upon this, is that you have all these hackers, 150 some odd thousand hackers that you have, 
and they're they're ranked in a way so I can know who the cream of the crop is yes, you can. without having to do a ton of research, right? Your yeah. your company kind of does that that legwork, that back end yes. stuff for me, right? So it's a gamification model. So when you sign up for an account on HackerOne as a researcher, when you submit a valid vulnerability, you get points after you receive the vulnerability details and it's been resolved and so forth. So in a way, you're kind of competing in a gamification strategy against the other researchers on the platform. But where this also comes into play is that the more reputation that you have and the higher you raise on the leaderboard, which we also have, the leaderboard either monthly or yearly, the more likely you are to get an invitation to the private programs that may see your name moving up. So it kind of works both ways. You get to see from a hacker standpoint who's the best of the best, and the hackers get to say, hey, I'm the best of the best because I'm ranked so-and-so on and the you platform. Can, and I can say, I can prove that, right. and here it is. Yeah. In, in black and white, you know we, it's me. We have hackers that are linking on their LinkedIn profiles to HackerOne because not only does it showcase their statistics, but it showcases some of the previous vulnerabilities that they've chosen to publicly display. Awesome. So that, that is, alone is really valuable. That is super awesome. It's a yeah. very cool model. I mean, it's just the idea. The, the, the guys over at your booth were calling you the talent agent, <laughs> where you're able to go out and find these talented hackers and, and kind of steer them in the right direction as yep. far as like companies go. And put people together uh, that would be a right fit. Yep. And you also have the algorithm that's doing that as well. So it's just a lot of, a lot of resources coming from HackerOne for people that want that, uh, that basically penetration test with specific type of hackers in mind. Right. Exactly. Cool. And it extends far beyond that. I mean, we have organizations that say, hey, go wild. Like the DOD, they've included all their assets in scope for the public VDP. So if you go on a military website belonging to the Department of Defense, you can go right now and report it to them and receive a thanks on their thanks page. So that alone is kind of impressive to say, like, hey, I thank the DOD, and, and this is what I have to show for it. So yeah. that's that's pretty awesome from, from a researcher standpoint. All right, so let's, let's talk about if I'm, uh, I'm a budding young hacker, yeah. I want to get into this, yeah. how do I do that? So I started off with no security experience. Um, I graduated from school and I did not have a computer science degree. Okay. Um, to this day, I am not a programmer. I do not know how to code, but I do know very well how to break things. Um, <laughs> and in doing so, the way that I learned that is uh, I partially used HackerOne and the Hacktivity feed, which is what we call it, which okay. is the list of public programs and public vulnerabilities that they choose to release out in the world. And the reason why this is a really good learning aspect for me is I was able to see other hackers and what they had reported to all these different programs and learn from these reports in in the flesh like what actually happened on each one of these each one of these reports and vulnerabilities. Um, additionally, how I learned is I kind of started just trying to poke around on the Department of Defense when they had their public VDP, and I gradually just focused on one vulnerability class, and and here I am. So and here you are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hacked on the DoD, and now I uh, I work with the DoD, uh, DoD on a daily basis to help secure their assets. So it's it's been a wild ride. I'm I'm very fortunate in that respect. Well, John, it sounds yeah. awesome. I can't wait to uh, get to HackerOne and check it yeah. out a little more. So if you're interested in bug bounties. Obviously, this is a great platform to get started on. Absolutely. You guys have a, a fantastic platform. Like you said, you started off with no experience not in this all. whatsoever. Yep. And now you're working for the company. Trial and error. And <laughs> not only is he, is he finding talent, but he's still working as an active hacker in yep. that community. So it's very cool how you guys have that set up. Absolutely. Uh, I look forward to I'm, I'm going to go log in and, and get me a. You should. It's, and, it's, it's a lot of fun. Around. It's exciting. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. All right, tell the good folks out there where to go and how to get there. Well, uh, it comes to it's hackerone.com, hacker and you can create an account. It's free. If you're an organization or a company, give us a call. 
Um, HackerOne.com is the place to go if you're looking for vulnerability disclosure. All right, John. Well, thanks so much for joining thanks us so today. Much for having it's me. been a pleasure talking with you. Absolutely. A lot of exciting things happening over at HackerOne. So we look forward to seeing how you progress in the future as well. Uh, that being said, it looks like uh, we're going to call it uh, for this interview. But stick around. We have plenty more to come here from InfoSec, uh, InfoSec World 2018 from Orlando, Florida. I've been your host, Daniel Lowry, for IT Pro TV. Thanks. All right, thank you, Daniel, for that interview, another cool one. And I think Daniel said he's actually going to try to start doing some hacking now, uh, maybe with HackerOne, so I don't, we'll have a celebrity on, on our hands very soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to do like further interviews with Daniel, see how that goes, like get a, get a real-world experience. What is it like signing up for the platform and seeing if you can make a buck? It'd be yeah. neat to see. And see him you know, get washed out of the industry very <laughs> soon. It's, it's really upsetting. But they actually we'll, have pre-recorded laughter they play, and it's we'll, great. We'll do a, yeah, we'll do like a VH1 behind the music of... Uh, of, of Daniel's <laughs> full career as a hacker. And, and here's how someone becomes addicted to math. <laughs> <Yeah>. Hacking. <laughs> Who knew? That's the way to do it. Well, that was a couple great interviews to share with you, but that's only just a, a few of the interviews that we were able to do here. Um, we've got a lot more, and we're putting those all up on our YouTube channel. I think we'll probably spread a few more out in, in uh, some future episodes of the podcast, uh, some of those interesting ones for you. But if you want to see them all, putting together a playlist on our YouTube channel at IT Pro TV. Uh, so please feel free to check that out. And, uh, you know, please feel free to share and check out all of our previous podcast episodes. Share them with your friends, subscribe, do all those good things. And, uh, Don, any closing thoughts here from InfoSec? That's really it. It's been a lot of fun. Definitely check it out. If you're available next year this time, be sure to check out InfoSec World. Uh, if you can't get to InfoSec World, there are plenty of other conferences that are out there. We are going to be out at RSA later mm -hmm. in the year. Uh, no, I say later in the year. That's coming it's up. next it's, month. Yeah, yeah. It's April. April <laughs> so, 17th or so. So there's RSA. Uh, Daniel's going to be out there doing interviews for us, yep. and uh, and the rest of our crew will be there. So if you're at RSA, be sure to, to look for IT Pro TV. Stop by and say hi. Uh, we are going to be at a couple of other security-related conferences as well as non-security-related conferences throughout the year. We'll be at Microsoft Ignite and a handful of others. Comic-Con, um, I don't know. Comic-Con, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, uh, the Adult Film Festival. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all going to be great. Definitely check them out. Who's going to that one? <laughs> <laughs> how, did I, how did I not get that badge? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so anyhow, part of our conference coverage, but you know, just a great opportunity to learn. Uh, if you can't make it to one of the larger conferences, look for a B-Sides conference. The security B-Sides are in every major city across the U.S., across the world, so be sure to check those out. We've covered a couple of them. Actually, we're going to be at uh, B-Sides Las Vegas, yeah, right? Yeah, B-Sides Las Vegas is, um, I want to say August uh, or so. It, it's right before uh, Black Hat and DEF CON, I think, so uh, we'll be out there for that. That's one of the bigger ones, mm -hmm. from what I understand, so uh, we're going to go ahead and check that out. and. Uh, and, and hopefully talk to some people as well there, but uh, we're going to have a booth set up as well, so that'll be pretty awesome. cool. Yeah. And as always, look for IT Pro TV out there. Be sure to check us out. If you have any questions, always be sure to reach out to us on our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Uh, like us, follow us, subscribe to our podcast on the, what, 8,000 platforms we're on now? Yeah, I, I said uh, all that already. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm reinforcing. This is... All right. Reinforcement through repetition. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to wrap up this episode, but uh, we will see you guys back in the studio next week on the IT Pro TV podcast.